0: Good morning. Good morning. So I don't know about you, but every time I hear that song, I always think of uh, that that Charlie Brown Christmas scene. Right. Uh, in fact, it's it's funny. My youngest son, uh, Macario, he's three years old, and every time we watch it or see anything Charlie Brown related, he always says, "Oh, it's Charlie Brownie, Charlie Brownie." So just think of little kids saying Charlie Brownie, uh, and we're like, "No, it's Charlie Brown." He's like, "No, Charlie Brownie." <laughs> It's cute. Uh, well, if you remember that scene, Charlie Brown is directing, and he's uh, just fed up, right? And he then decides to go get a Christmas tree to, to kind of gather up, um, to stir up Christmas spirit, and, and he's asked to go get a really nice aluminum Christmas tree, right? But instead, he, re- he returns with this, uh, and at that, everyone, right, everyone, including his dog, laughs at him. Charlie Brown then responds by shouting out, "Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about?" And then Linus, uh, Linus responds by reading a passage from Luke chapter two. Linus, and then the whole Peanuts gang then follow Charlie Brown outside. And when they get outside, Charlie Brown states, "Linus was right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas." Uh, I'll take this Christmas tree home and decorate it, and I'll show them it really will work. So when he arrives home, he sees Snoopy's decorated house. He pulls an ornament off the tree, and when he puts it on the tree and the tree sags, he says, and you know how he, he kind of does, he like lifts his face all the way up, and he says, I've killed it. Uh, everything I touch gets ruined. And then the whole Peanuts gang comes out around the tree, Linus puts his blanket down to surround the tree just like that. Uh, They decorate the tree uh, with ornaments. And I still don't know how this tree becomes a really nice Christmas tree. Um, My kids are like, I don't understand. How is that possible? And I'm like, it's a cartoon. It's not real. Uh, (laughs) So they're like, oh, but still, I don't really understand. Uh, And then they sing out, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So I love that. I mean, that... Movie is from 1965, believe it or not, 52 years old, and we're still watching that every Christmas year. Uh, that album, that that Christmas, that Charlie Brown Christmas album, is actually I love that album, and it's actually what starts off Christmas for me. Right? I, I, you know, I have I still have the actual CD. You know, I don't have a I don't have a record. If any of you guys have vinyl records, that's awesome. Uh, but I mean, I listen to that every single year because it's just, it reminds me of Christmas. It kind of kicks it off for me. So, what kicks off Christmas for you? Is it a chocolate Advent cal- calendar? Is it maybe those post Thanksgiving Day uh, stomach aches that you're like, okay, we've got to finally put the lights up? Or maybe it's cold weather. Or perhaps uh, it's, it's when you, every Christmas season when Advent starts, you open up the Gospels and you just read from the beginning. So let's actually do that right now and and look at Luke chapter 2. Now, as you turn to Luke chapter 2, I know we're currently in a series on the carols and that today we're going to be looking at that hymn, that wonderful hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But to be honest, there's no way truly to understand that hymn unless we start with the scripture. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up, as we read your word, as we dig into just that wonderful hymn, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would stir up a joy in our heart for you. That you would stir up a passion and a love for you, Lord, that we would be reminded as we are a week away from Christmas, Lord, just how wonderful of a gift it was that you came down so that we could have everlasting life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Now, what's amazing about these first few verses, if you look at Luke 2, verse 1 to 7, is that there are actually a number of messianic prophecies. That are hidden in here. So, I mean, you look at Luke chapter 2, I mean, we just read verse 1 to 7, and it, it feels like it seems like a historical account, which it is, right? However, if you look deep within this historical account, by recounting what happened, we can actually parallel that with the Old Testament and see how many prophecies were actually fulfilled about Jesus in these seven verses. All right, so I'll share four with you. The first one comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2 to 5. Uh, we're going to have it up here on the screens. Bethlehem, uh, Ephra- I don't know how to say that word. Uh, so Bethlehem something. Uh, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, we will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. So as you look at that prophecy, right, what we see first and foremost is that it states that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, right? The Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, which happened with Jesus. What's also interesting, if you look at the first couple verses there, it says, therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she was in labor has given birth. And if you look at the period of time between the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there's actually a period of silence. There was a period of silence where it was like God was not speaking through prophets. There was not anyone being sent in. It was just this period of silence until Jesus was born. It's fascinating here. Let's look at the second one. The second prophecy that we see here is in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So this prophecy, the second one, states that the Messiah is going to be born in the line of David, which we see at the end of chapter 2, verse 4. Right? It happened with Jesus that, um, that, that he was born and, and come, he comes from the line of David. We also see in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, this is one verse before verse 6, another prophecy that is fulfilled here. So Isaiah 9, 6 says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. So what we see here in this prophecy is that the Messiah, right, this this. Messiah that was going to be born, that was then fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, was going to actually be be born as a child, which happened with Jesus. And the fourth prophecy that we see here is Isaiah 7, verse 13 and 14. It says this, Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. So once again, in the Old Testament, way, years, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born and before anyone here on earth knew that this Messiah was going to be born, there's this prophecy saying that the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin, which then happened with Jesus. So in fact, the the reason I share these these four prophecies with you is because when we look at the second verse of Heart the Herald Angels Sing, we'll get to the first one, but as we take a look at the second verse, if we can get it on the screens here, this verse celebrates the fact that the Jesus that we worship here, the Jesus that we worship here was not a mere man, but that he indeed was the Messiah that was prophesied about. So let's take a look at this verse here, right? Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. So this second verse is all about these prophecies. It's actually when we sing, it's us declaring, hey, this Jesus that we worship was this Messiah that was prophesied about. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, right? We talked about that prophecy there. Veiled in flesh, the, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, right? We talked about Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, right? So we see here when we sing, and and after we finish this message, we're going to be worshiping with one another through the song again. And as we sing this second verse, let's remember as we sing it, it's actually us saying and celebrating that this Jesus that we worship uh, is actually the Messiah that was prophesied about years ago. Now, what I love about uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14 is, uh, actually, and we're going to read it now, but this verse 8 to 14 actually sh- shows just how much God loves a good party, all right? So let's look at this, uh, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there is a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors, right? So if you take a look at this verse right here, though the shepherds weren't there, right? They weren't physically there to see Jesus being born. What I love about this here is that God saw it fit. What we see here is that God saw it fit to rally up the very people that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save. And who were the shepherds? Were the shepherds the the richest of the rich, the highest of the high, the elite, the educated, the ones that had everything and all their ducks in order? No, they weren't, right? Jesus in coming as a baby and in God, you know, through angels announcing to the shepherds first that Jesus had come, we see that God sent his son Jesus Christ to save the commoners, to save everyday people, like you and I. What we see here is that Jesus wasn't born at the Ritz-Carlton, right? Jesus wasn't born, and these, Jesus wasn't born, and then after he was born, he wasn't born in a way where the shepherds came in black limos, right? Where everyone around Jesus, after he was born, that they came in private jets to come and visit him, right? That's not what happened here. God came down to earth through the birth of Jesus Christ so that, and this is so important, so that no one could boast that they were good enough, right so that no one could boast that they did enough to earn their way to god and that 's the beauty of this hymn here that we 're actually singing the gospel here it 's fascinating I mean this past week, and my wife and I, I mean, we have an eight seven and a three year old and we 're still we're, we're, like we 're trying to figure out how to discipline them, especially your eight and seven year old differently than when they were a kid, you know, when they were a baby. And just every year I find it's different. And, and, and this week, my daughter's gone to fight and, uh, you know, Victoria hit Adeline and, uh, and then they just, it was just, you know, they just gone in a fight and we were trying to discipline them and being like, Hey, why, you know, why did you hit your sister? And Victoria couldn't really say, and and it's it's not like she just hit her once and that was it. But this is a pattern. Like she'll, Adeline will ignore her and then Victoria will hit her. And it happens over and over and over again. And we have no idea what to do. If you have good advice, please help it. Please help me. You know, we have like these parenting books we keep on reading because we have no idea what to do. Uh, (laughs) Right? But but that happened. And, you know, we we went to Victoria and, and we were like, Victoria, why are you hitting your sister? Right? It's not like it was just she hit her once and that was it. But it, it happens over and over again every time this, this, this happens. And we're like, why did you hit your sister? And she just broke down because it's not like it was the first time she did it. She's done it over and over again. And she's like, I don't know. There's something wrong with me. All right? And then I responded to her. I was like, you're right. There is something wrong with you. There is. All right? And she's like, what? <laughs> aren't you supposed to say, Daddy, there isn't, you know, Daddy, I love you. you know, is not what you're supposed to say. I was like, no, there is something wrong with you. There's actually something wrong with all of us. Right? It's sin. And because and, and, I knew in what she was saying there, because I'm always like, hey, you need to apologize to your sister, but you also need to repent to God. And, and she knows, like, in that, she's like, oh, I'm not good enough. Like, I, I don't even deserve, you know, God. I don't even deserve God's love is what was underneath that. I'm not good enough, right? And I was like, you're right, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's nothing that we can ever do to make us good enough, ever. There's nothing that we can ever do to prevent us from getting angry when our buttons get pushed. But what we do have is God's grace. What we do have is the promise that in Jesus coming down to earth, in Him coming to actually, and, 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 you know, God sending the angels to go to Jesus, what we actually see here is a promise that, hey, there's nothing that you can ever do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you can ever do to make God love you less. All right, and I've said that multiple times in my preaching and my prayers, and, and because it's such an important thing that sometimes we miss Because a lot of times we think that there are things that we can do to make God love us more. Hey, if I go to church more often, or if I read my Bible, or if I serve, or if I help out in the homeless shelter, or if I do this, 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 and this, we sometimes assume in our morality that, hey, actually, God probably loves me way more than he did last year. I mean, my year was awesome. Look at all the things that I've done in the church. Look at you know I helped decorate this place, and you know I didn't help decorate this place. But you know it's like you know you you do that right, and you have your own tally sheet, and you're like oh, God really must love me more. But if 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 that's true, then you can actually do stuff to make God love you less, and that is not true, right? And I shared with my daughter there. I was like I was like there is, I mean, there's nothing that you can ever do to make me love you less. Or more, and the same goes with God. Because what we see here is Jesus, our Emmanuel, right? This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of this hymn, is that Jesus, our Emmanuel, Jesus is God with us, not because of stuff we've done, but because he loves us, regardless of what you've done. So all throughout this first verse, Right, and let's, let's get the second verse up on the screen, please. All throughout this first verse, we actually see here that Jesus is the newborn king. That Jesus is the one who has brought peace to earth. Because he has reconciled and he has provided a way for God and sinners to be reconciled. I mean, we see here, what a reason to be joyful. What a reason to rejoice right here. So, the angels that are singing here in Luke chapter 2, right, we, we read here in Luke 2 13 and 14, Christ is born in Bethlehem, right? That's what we're singing here. Christ is born in Bethlehem. So, glory to the newborn king. So, after the angels sang, hark the herald angels, sing, you know, after the angels, you know, w- worshiped God and, and, and showed the shepherds that Jesus was born we read in verse 15 that the shepherds then go and act, right? So the shepherds experienced all this, and now they heard the angel singing. And then in verse 15, we read, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem, right? So they're saying, let's go, let's act. In light of this, let's do something and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Once you encounter God, there's no way that you can stay put. Once you truly encounter God, there's no way that you can keep everything as status quo. And that is why, friends, we gather here on a weekly basis. That's why worshiping with one another here on a regular basis is such an important spiritual practice. Because when we come and when we worship, we are laying down our possessions. When we are singing these songs, when we are giving of our finances, when we are giving of our time, when we are when we are listening to the message, when we are responding in worship, we are laying down our priorities. We are laying down our lives and we are saying, Lord, here we are, please mold me and shape me. If you go to a concert, if you go to a talk, if you, I mean, it's, although we're singing, although, you know, many of you are listening here, this is not the same thing as if you were to have gone to a conference. Because when you go and you sit in school and you hear someone teaching, when you go to a concert and you hear someone singing, it's very passive. You have observers, you have spectators, and you have performers. But that's not what happens here on Sunday. What happens here on Sunday is that we are actually actively worshiping. We are actively proclaiming. We are actively listening. We are actively choosing to do so. We are actively placing ourselves before the foot of Christ and saying, Jesus, have your way in me. In fact, when we sing, it's not just about us hearing ourselves sing, but it's us actually proclaiming into existence. It's speaking into Nashville. It's speaking into the community and the people that we love. It's, it's speaking truth into existence. And that's what we're doing here. It's kind of like sleeping. You can't cause yourself to sleep. You can't, there's no on and off button. Where it's like, okay, now it's time to sleep. Like it just, it doesn't ha- I wish it were that easy to go to bed, but it isn't. What we can do though, is we can create the conditions in which sleep will come, right? Maybe it's a warm shower, maybe it's a cup of chamomile tea, maybe it's reading a book or listening, whatever your routine is to try to go to bed, we can, what we can actively do is create the conditions in which sleep will come but we can't cause ourselves to sleep. And the same thing is true of spiritual growth. We can create the conditions in which spiritual growth will come, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that will transform us. So when we worship here together, it's not just something you do. (laughs) When we worship here together, we're actually saying, we're coming before the Lord with an active posture, and we're saying, Lord, have your way in me. When we read the scriptures Right on a daily basis, and you, maybe it's one verse, or five verses, or a couple chapters, or whatnot. I mean, what, five minutes, 15 minutes, or an hour. It doesn't matter. But when you come to the Lord on a regular basis, and you lay yourself before the Lord, I mean, you, what you're actually doing is you're saying, God, please transform me. Please shape me. Please mold me. Please move in my life. Use me. And that's what we're doing here. And when we read and we sing out uh, this, this next verse here, Right, this third verse, we're actually doing that very thing. We're acting in an active way. So let's read verse 16 to 20, and then we'll look at the third verse of the song. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, right, so the shepherds, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about uh, the, this child, and, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, right? So they saw... They spoke, they went, they acted, they shared with others the joy that they were experiencing, the news that they had heard. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I love how after meeting Jesus, the shepherds couldn't stop themselves from praising him. And in fact, I wonder if that's what this third verse is about here. Now, think about this. Uh, I mean, when we're going to take a look at who wrote the song a little bit later. Just, just you know, a quick little history lesson. But what's, what's fascinating about this song here, although it was written hundreds of years ago, right? Uh, if you look at the chorus of the song, right? Where it's, hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king, right? We see it in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Right? So we see, I mean, just imagine if you were the, the writer of this song. Right? And I, I mean, we're in Nashville, right? So there's a ton of songs. In fact, yesterday night, we were at a friend's house in our community. And all night, I was talking to a writer. He's actually a staff writer with one of the labels here in town. And, and he was talking to me about, like, I wanted to know what, what does that look like to write songs? And he was asking me, what does it look like to write books? And it was just really neat to kind of share back and forth how different that is, right? And I was like, how do you get inspiration for your songs, right? And as we were talking back and forth, I was just thinking about this song, right? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How was, I mean, if you were the writer of this song, how would you have gotten the inspiration for all the verses, right? And we're looking at Luke chapter 2, because I'm guessing this is where it's coming from. But just take a look at verse 20. This is, this is fascinating. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned Glorifying and praising God. What does it mean to glorify and praise God? It's not just you're walking and you're like, "Glory to God, I praise you." Glory to God, I praise you. I mean, that's not. I mean, yes, that could be glorifying God and praising Him. But when I see that, I'm thinking like they are singing their hearts out, like they are jumping. There, I mean, just imagine this. Okay, imagine you were a shepherd in that day, minding your own business, lowliest of the low. You stunk. Right? It was like you were out, you didn't even, it was nighttime, you didn't even want to be out there. You wish you were like in your bed sleeping, but someone had to watch these dumb animals, right? I mean, that's probably what you're thinking, right? Like, nothing's ever going to happen, nothing ever happens, nothing will happen. I, why am I wasting my life watching these animals? And then all of a sudden, angels come and you're like, what is happening? And you hear them singing, right? I mean, there probably is no. Every angel probably sings on tune. <laughs> right, let's just assume that. The, the, the singing wasn't bad. It was probably better than they could have ever. I mean, it was like, it was like, I mean, our worship team is amazing, right? I mean, no, like no joke. If this is the first church you've ever been a part of, like you are, you don't know what it's like to be a part of some other churches out there. Like, was, I'm, like, like we are so blessed. Our worship team is so gifted and so talented. But just imagine if it was a hundred times, a million times better than that. The harmonies, the music, the sounds, it was like instruments and voices you would have never heard about. Imagine if you were a shepherd, you heard that, and then you knew about this Messiah that was going to be born. You knew that this Messiah was going to be born, and they say the Messiah has been born, so go and go see him. And then you go see him, and you're just like... Like, your mind is blown, right? I mean, it's just like, I wish we had a GIF playing on the screen right now, right? Someone would be like, boof, right? It would just keep on going like this. Like, that's how it would have been. And then, after all that happened, you're going back to your old job, to the shepherds, you know, to the fields, to your animals. Imagine the joy that would have been in your heart, right? Imagine that. And that's, look at verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Right? They had to tell everyone what had just happened. And when I read this next verse, the verse, uh, verse 3, if we can get that on the screen, please. If, when I see this, this is what I think. You know, I'm thinking that the, angel, that the shepherds are walking back, running back, dancing back to their field. And they are singing, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Right? This is what I imagine them singing. Right? And I want to encourage you, when we finish, when I finish this message, we're going to sing this song together. Let's, like, let's sing so loud that the decibel levels, like that, that, you know, let's pull up the decibel levels app, right? And be like, it's never been this high in this building ever before. Because that is what this song, this song is not just a cute little carol that we sing, that we think. It's a cute little carol that, you know, the, this, the Peanuts characters are singing around this tree. Linus has put down his blanket, finally. I mean, that's not a cute little song. We're actually proclaiming that Jesus has come. So not only does the second verse of the song remind us that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, right? That's the first one we went through, that Jesus is in fact the Messiah because he fulfilled the prophecies that were said about him, but we see in verse 1 that our reaction and our response should not only be worship and praise, but as we just see here, it should also move us to action. The verse 3 of this song shows us how we need to move our worship and our relationship with God to action. Because as we see in this third verse, Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just a historical figure. He is the heaven-born Prince of Peace. If we can get the third verse uh, just one more time on the screen, please. He is the heaven-born Prince of Peace. He is the Son of Righteousness. That is the Jesus we are worshiping. Light and life not only originate from Jesus, but he freely gives it all to those who come before him. Right? Healing is in his wings. If you are in need of healing today, Jesus is the only one that can bring about true healing in our lives. Jesus was born, right? we see born, Jesus was born so that we wouldn't have to face death any longer. Talking about eternal death, but also life here on earth. Where there are hundreds of millions of people who don't know Christ, who are like the walking dead, hopeless, meaningless, and purposeless. And we see when Jesus came, he came so that we would have a second birth, so that we would be raised up, so that we could experience new life as long as we come before him, as long as we come before him with open hands and open heart. I mean, isn't that good news here? I mean, just think about this hymn. Think about the shepherds. Isn't that worth proclaiming from the rooftops? I mean, that's precisely what we're declaring and what we proclaim when we sing the song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. So in conclusion, I'll just give you a quick, brief history lesson on the song. The hymn as we have it today Though it was originally written by Charles Wesley in 1739, this hymn, in addition to many of the other hymns that we sing today, uh, were modified over the years. And there were two significant ones that are worth noting. In Wesley's original hymn, (laughs) I mean, um, this is how the first verse went, right? What is the first verse, right? Hark, hark the herald angels sing, right? This is how the first verse was. Hark! How all the welkin rings. Like, what in the world does that even mean? Hark! How all the welkin rings. Like, who, who, what is? What does the word welkin mean? So I looked it up. I right? was like, dictionary.com, right? What does welkin mean? And it means skies or the heavens. So I, you know, I guess that makes sense. Maybe they used it back then, but they probably didn't because they changed the verse pretty soon afterwards. Right? It's like even his friend uh, George Whitfield. He's a famous preacher. He was a key individual in the Great Awakening. They were, he was friends with Charles Wesley. You know, he 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 saw the hymn. He saw the potential. And the very first thing he did was he changed the words. I was <laughs> like, dude, I love the whole thing, but no one says the word welcome, right? That's pro- I mean, just that's probably what he said to him. So he then changed it and he said, Hark, the herald angels sing. And Charles Wesley was probably like, Oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Right, Hark, the herald angels sing. The second major modification came when the English musician William Heyman Cummings, it's fascinating, he actually paired Whitfield's adaptation to this song to uh, one of Felix Mendelssohn's cantatas. All right, and Felix Mendelssohn, uh, if you listen to classical music, I mean, he is one of the great composers. Uh, of the You know, kind of at the same level as Mozart, Beethoven, Bach. People don't talk about Mendelssohn as much, but he's, he's one of them. I'll would, I would put kind of at the same level there. And Mendelssohn, I mean, this guy was a brilliant composer, very catchy tunes. So this Englishman actually pairs the lyrics of the song to one of Felix Mendelssohn's cantatas, which Wesley, I mean, the original writer, actually wanted this song to be slow and solemn. Can you imagine singing this song slowly and solemnly? Like this song is not Mary, did you know? Right. I mean, that's that's. I mean, it was not sung like "Hark!" I, I, I can't even just put these two songs together. I was about to just do that, but no. Um, you know, because when you sing "Hark! The Herald the Angels Sing," right, it's like it's a fun song. It's a bright song. It's a lovely song, and and it's it's neat because over the years, right, we're we're looking at this beloved carol, right. We're looking at this. Song that's been around for hundreds of years, how it's been modified, how it's been transformed, how it's so catchy. All right, and even as we come together with the worship team coming up in a little bit, uh, what we're actually singing here, all right, what we're actually singing here together, is not just a lovely song that's been transformed over the years, but we're actually declaring the gospel. All right, that's what we're doing here. We're celebrating that Jesus was the one that was prophesied about. That he was not just a human that was born, but he was God come to earth. He was the prophesied one. That all throughout the Old Testament, they were, all of the Old Testament was pointing to this one man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, this is who we were singing about in the first verse. And, you know, in the second verse, and in the first verse, we're, we're proclaiming his goodness. We're proclaiming his glory. And when we finish the song with the third, it's a march out. That's what that third verse is. It's a march toward action. So if I can ask the worship team to come up, what we're going to do here as we sing the song, and especially as we get to the third verse, I want you to ask God, right? I want you to ask God and ask him and be like, Lord, as I'm singing this song, who do you want me to go and share this gospel with? Right? Because as we saw in this song, as we saw in this scripture in, in Luke chapter 2, it's not just about Jesus having come. It's about the shepherds going and proclaiming. So us as the shepherds, let's actually sing this song like we were one of the shepherds. Right? Let's try to do that. Sing it like one, we were one of the shepherds. And as we go out, who are we going to then share this wonderful message with? Next week is Christmas. Right, Next week... Is Christmas, and Christmas is one of those Sundays, one of those days that it, people who don't go to church, are, they are so open to coming to church. Way more than any other Sunday. And I would encourage you as we sing this song, for you to ask God, Lord, who can I bring in my arm next week? Not, who can I text to say, I'll meet you at this place called the Fellowship Two Rivers campus but say, hey, let's meet beforehand and come together, right? And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to, as we sing this song, to actually ask God, who should I bring next week? And let's pack this place out so that our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers can hear the good and wonderful message of Jesus Christ. Amen.